Jackson. Oh, thank you. I'll pay those of you that stood later. No, I'm just joking. Ah, it's good to see you. What a great day to be alive. Ah, what a great season uh, of glory and goodness in the Holy Spirit, right? Amen? I, for one, am super excited uh, about what the Holy Spirit is doing in and amongst us uh, at the moment. Um, You know, last week we uh, had a spontaneous healing in worship, and this week we had a spontaneous healing in preaching. So uh, last week, uh, Joanne uh, Alexander, our one of our beloved pastors, she had some pain in her arm that would meant, meant that she couldn't get it past about there. Uh, we had prayed, she'd been to getting some physio, it just in worship the Holy Spirit just touched her and all of a sudden she could move her arm fully, move her arm all the way back. Went to the doctor this last week and, all, and the doctor said all the scar tissue is gone. Come on Jesus. Uh, so good. And then this morning um, in, in the preaching, uh, Becca, who said she'd had a, a torn ACL, I think it was, uh, and had a lot of pain in her hamstring after surgery to fix that ACL, um, just suddenly felt a pop and had no pain in her hamstring and can do a whole bunch of things that she couldn't do before. How many of you know that the, in the glory of the Lord, anything can happen? And he's increasing his glory upon us and amongst us, and we're so glad about that. Uh, You know, um, we've got these prophetic words. Annie Bluin had a prophetic word about the glory of God coming to us in October. Um, Mark Dupont, a couple of weeks ago, talking about the glory of the Lord and all of us moving from the temple of, uh, uh, sorry, the tabernacle of David to the Solomon's temple and being flat on our faces in front of the Lord in the glory uh, and, and other things that have been happening. And God is just so good. And my, uh, this, what has been sort of sharing with us and, uh, and I preached last week about the glory of God actually being ultimate, the ultimate expression of the glory of God being Christ Jesus himself. We have seen his glory, John writes in, 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 in John 1, 14, we have seen his glory, glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. And God's glory is his goodness, Right? Exodus 33, Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. And so God puts him into a cleft of a rock and he passes by and he says, and I will cause all of my goodness to pass by. And he proclaims the Lord, slow to anger, rich in love. That's his goodness. The Psalms say that the, the earth is filled with his, with his goodness and the earth is filled with his glory. His glory and his goodness are the same thing. Jesus comes along. And he's walking upon the earth. And we don't just know that he, you know, we don't know about God's glory only because Jesus proclaimed it. But he didn't just come along and say, hey, my dad's good. My father is good. But he actually came along and he demonstrated how good he truly is by healing the sick. By preaching to those who are in, in prison uh, spiritually. By let, opening the eyes of the blind. By opening the ears of the deaf. By opening the tongue of the mute. By raising the dead person back to life. By giving those who are lame, giving them ability to walk. It's not just that God is good in theory. It's God is good in reality. And Jesus came to absolutely manifest that and to show us really how good he absolutely is. And he's better than we realize. He's way better than we know. He's way better than we've experienced. Job says, we've only just touched the hem of your garment. 
And we're just in this season where we're believing God for the glory of Jesus to be manifested upon us and through us and in us and around us. And, and we're just pressing in for more. I want to encourage you. I hope, you, I hope this morning you know, that you came full of the glory of God where you've already experienced the glory of God because you are at home in the secret place gazing on Jesus' beauty face-to-face encounters. As it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, I think, it says, we all beholding the glory of God as in a mirror. We behold the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus and we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. Behold his glory. So I hope you're coming this morning or now this afternoon already fully charged, having had the week of experience experiencing his glory because it's not about just experiencing his glory here he's got too much of his glory to reveal to us to to limit us to one hour two hours on a Sunday morning he's the God of glory living on the inside of you that he wants to reveal his glory to you every minute of every day whether you have a glory encounter or whether you're just experiencing the glory you know in on the inside of you the love or whether you're releasing that glory to people around you and so this morning, I want to, or this afternoon, I want to talk a little bit more about that glory. And I, I'm going to, I, I want to ask you to, oh, I, I do ask you to turn to Matthew 17. Matthew 17, uh, and we're going to read from verse 1, uh, and we're going to read probably to about verse 20. But I just need to set a little bit of context for you. And this is revelation for you right now, okay, so get ready. Matthew 6, 17 comes after Matthew 16. Deep. Super deep. But it's actually really important that we read Scripture in context, okay? And so the context of this, of this is, and we're going to get to Matthew 17 in just a minute, but in Matthew 16, in verse 12, it says that Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. The district of Caesarea Philippi was in the north of the, of the, um, of the province of the kingdom of Israel, okay? It's up in the north um, at the foot of a mountain called Mount Hermon. And in the olden days, it was actually called Bashan, Okay, so that's up there. So Jesus comes into Caesarea Philippi and he says to his disciples, hey, who do you say that I am? And people say, well, people say that you're Elijah and some say John the Baptist, some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And and Jesus says, okay, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, well, you are the son of God. You know, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he gets this revelation of who Jesus is and Jesus just gets super excited. He's like, blessed, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but it's been revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And then he goes on to say, I, and I tell you this, that I, on this rock, I say that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell or Hades will not prevail against it. Now, there are different things people say. You know, some people say that the, the, the rock is, the, is, is Peter himself. Um, I actually like to think that it's, it, there's a dimension of that, but there's also a dimension of, of uh, the bigger dimension is actually that the, 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 the rock is the declaration and the confession of who Jesus Christ actually is of the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and the church, the ecclesia, which is a called out group of people for the purpose of establishing the kingdom in, in, the, in the nation, in the nations, Jesus will build his church on that confession and that declaration of him as Christ. And he goes, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And then he goes on to say, and then he goes on to talk about his death and, 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 his, and, his, and his burial. And, and Peter gets upset and, you know, 
Jesus has to rebuke him, tell him to get behind him. And then uh, from that point, he starts to talk about taking up our own cross to follow him. And we pick up the story in chapter 17 of verse 1. Uh, and I'm actually going to read it. Uh, I'm reading it primarily from the ESV. But what, what I've done is, because you can find the story in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9, I've added a little bit together, okay, from the Luke and the Mark story to add some color. So I'll work that through. So after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Luke says to pray. And as he was praying, he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Mark says his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Luke adds this extra thing, he says, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. And then Luke goes on to say, now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. Back to Matthew. And Peter said, that, said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And Mark says, well, he didn't know what to say because he was terrified. <laughs> if you saw Jesus, the person that you'd been walking with, uh, turn into someone completely just transformed, I think you would be terrified too. And a voice from the cloud says this, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Let's jump down to verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, they come down the mountain. When they came to the crowd, a man... Um, came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on me, on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Wow. So why did I share that little bit about, about Caesarea and all of that? So it says he was there after about six days. So, and he goes up a high mountain. Now, Theologians, it doesn't say which mountain it is. Some theologians say it's Mount Tabor. Others would say that it was Mount Hermon. I like to think it's Mount Hermon because it was a higher, higher mountain than that. Well, why is that important? Well, Caesarea Philippi was um, actually uh, a, a place that has a long history associated with the demonic. Okay, so um, during uh, Israel's divided kingdom period, Jeroboam built a, um, it, uh, up in there, it, uh, in the tribe in Dan, it, just south of Mount Hermon, he built an altar to Baal, the god, and, and they worshipped Baal instead of, instead of um, Yahweh. And um, there were two cities before that that were actually, that there were giants that lived there, and, they, and the tradition was that those giants had come from, uh, from heaven and that they were, you know, people that lived 
or part of the underworld. Um, you know, there's a story in Genesis chapter 6 um, where the sons of man, sorry, the sons of God, the angels, looked down upon the women on earth and went, ooh, hubba hubba. And they came down and, and they had intercourse, you know, they, they, they had sex with the, um, the, the women and they, the giants were created. Okay, And in Jewish tradition, the place where that happened was actually Mount Hermon. And um, Caesarea Philippi had actually been built to, uh, to, um, after the name of the Roman emperor and it had been dedicated to Zeus. And there was um, actually in Caesarea Philippi, there was a cave that, that out of the cave, there was a rock, uh, a water that came out of the cave. And it was literally known as the gates of Hades. It was a place where there was such a level of demonic that, that, um, and such a level of sacrifice. They had dedicated the place to, to Satan and his enemy, you know, in, in his people, his, his, uh, the, the demons. And it was known as the gates of Hades. And so there's Jesus. He's standing in Caesarea Philippi and they're making a declaration at the foot of Hades. He's saying, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against you. Not just in a, in a metaphorical sense, but literally they would be looking up the disciples going, how would that even be possible? So Jesus goes up the mountain. Where is the mountain? The mountain is over the gates of Hades. And Jesus saying, listen, the gates of Hades are not going to prevail against you. There's no, actually in the Greek, the against isn't there. What he's saying is the gates of Hades can't overcome you because the one on the inside of you is way stronger and you're going to overcome them. And so, but what's the key? So they go up the mountain, they climb a high mountain. And as they're climbing up and as they're there and Jesus is praying, it says that he gets transfigured. His, his face becomes whiter than, than uh, the bright as the sun and his clothes are whiter than anyone could bleach it. And he's, and he's transformed, where? Over the gates of Hades. It's his glory that appears to them. And it says that the disciples were fast asleep. <laughs> And all of a sudden, as they're sleeping, they, they wake up suddenly because they experience the glow, the glory of Jesus coming upon them. And it says about that, that there was Moses and Elijah that appeared to them. So they're over, they're on Mount Hermon, they're up, uh, you know, my theory, obviously it's not in the, in the, in the word uh, where they were, but my, my hypothesis, they're there over, they're standing where there's been the gates of Hades, and they're seeing the glory of the one who's going to overcome the gates of Hades. And who's standing there but Moses and Elijah? Well, why Moses and Elijah? Well, Moses represents the law of God. Elijah represents the prophets. Moses and Elijah also are two people who, whose bodies were never found. Jesus is about to go to the cross, death, and then resurrection and be ascended. Moses actually says that God buried Moses, and we don't know, they didn't know where he was, and Elijah got taken up into glory. They were both great deliverers and great prophets in Israel's history. They were both associated with the glory. Moses was associated with the law of God being given on Mount Sinai and the glory of God coming on fire and the Israelites not wanting to touch it. And then the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud by day and by night and just the glory of God in the tabernacle. So he's associated with that glory. And Elijah associated with a great moment in Israel's history where they're up on Mount Carmel and they're sacrificing to Baal and they can't get God can't get Baal to set the thing on fire and he 
Elijah puts out the altar and he covers it in water and the fire of God falls and there's great reformation and there's great healing and there's great joy and there's great breakthrough. And so Moses and Elijah, they're there representing the law and the prophets. And it's interesting that they're speaking to Jesus of his departure. The word departure, if you read in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, that word is the same word that they use for the exodus. So they're speaking of the exodus, which is about to happen. What's, what, what, what's happening? Moses and Elijah speaking to Jesus about how his death and his resurrection is about to create a mass exodus where we get out of spiritual Egypt and out of slavery and out of sin and out of separation and bringing people out into the promised land of glory, the presence of God back to glory. So he's speaking of his exodus and so they're there and now and, and, and so what happens? Peter's response is, oh, uh, 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 it, it's good for us to be here. I love it when God shows up, Peter thinks it's good for him to be there. He's like, oh, it's good that we're here, Lord. And it says, you know, Mark says that he doesn't know what to say because he was terrified. Anyone said anything dumb when you're in terror? I have. He doesn't know what to say, but he's like, oh, it's good that we would, we would be here because we should build three tabernacles, one for you and one for, uh, for Moses and one for Elijah. And, um, and, you know, in a sense, putting Moses and Elijah and Jesus all at the same level. And he's talking about this great plan that he's got, knowing, not knowing what to do. And I love how God interrupts him. As he's talking, hey, Jesus, it would be good to start a tabernacle and all of a sudden this cloud appears. A glorious kind of bright cloud. And it doesn't, you know, the word says it's overshadowed, but it's actually not really a good translation. It's more like it envelops them. When I drove to the church building this morning, there was fog in the road. Right, we were driving through mist and, and we were enveloped by the cloud. This glory cloud comes, you know, they were already terrified, but this glory cloud comes and, they, and immerses them in the glory and it says that they fell flat on their faces. And what happens? In the glory, the Father speaks. And the Father speaks in the glory and, and, and in that place of being enveloped, it says that God speaks and he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Who was that for? It wasn't for Jesus. It was the disciples. And then, get this, Peter has just had a revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He's now seeing Moses and Elijah and Jesus and saying, let's build you three tents to celebrate this moment. And the voice of the heaven is coming and saying, um, no, 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 stop, time out, time out, time out, Peter. No, the one that you should be worshipping is Jesus. This is my son, in whom I love, or is my pleasure, or is my delight. Listen to him. And Jesus, you know, interesting, you know, that Moses and Elijah together, representing the law and the prophets, you know, Jesus is the eternal word of God. He is the living word of God. All of the law and all of the prophets are summed up in Jesus. All of the law and all of the prophets fulfilled in Jesus. And so what, what, what God's saying is, this is my son. He is the embodiment of the law. He is the embodiment of the prophets. He is the one that you need to listen to. Listen to him. Experience him. Look at him. Enjoy him. Because all of my affection and all of my devotion is now upon him. It has been for all of eternity. But you need to grasp that. And so, 
So it's, it's not that the law and the prophets, they're bad. It's just that Jesus has fulfilled them both. And to, to, to listen to Jesus is to fulfill the law and the prophets. Right, and so that word listen is, actually says, it, it means, has the connotation of, um, my mind's gone blank. Pay attention and obey. Pay attention and obey. And so Jesus, uh, the Father is speaking and he's saying, this is my son, my only son, my beloved son. The word beloved could actually be translated one and only. This is my one and only son. This is the one of my affection. This is the object of my affection. In him, I am well pleased. To be pleased with someone or something with the implication of resulting pleasure. The passion translation says this, this translate it this way. This is my dearly loved son the constant focus of my delight. God's delight is Jesus Christ. He is the Father's delight. Psalm 36, I think it's around about verse 8, it says that he gives us drink from his rivers of delight. The river of delight is Jesus that he gives us to drink from the river of his delight and is the object of the Father's affection. And I think what God is doing to us as, we, as, as, we, as we're experiencing more and more of the glory is he's releasing to us the very same spirit that actually, that, that, that loved, that, that the Father loved Jesus, that very same passion, that very same love, he's releasing to us by the Holy Spirit. Uh, in Rome, in uh, John chapter 4, verse 23, I think it is, it says that the, Jesus says that the Father is seeking worshippers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And then in John chapter 16, round about verse 24, um, no, verse 14, sorry, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will take from what is mine and will make it known to you. So what Jesus is, what I think the Father's doing is he's taking, the, the Holy Spirit is taking the affections that the Father has for his Son, the delight that he has for his Son, and he's birthing it in us so that we love the, the Son with the same love and affection that the Father has for Jesus, that his delight, and he is our delight and he is our joy and he is our everything. And so as we come into this place when, when, when the cloud lifts, all they see is Jesus. And we're coming into this place, I, I just believe, of the Holy Spirit birthing in us the affections of the Father for Jesus, that we will have no other passion or desire but the glorious and beautiful and wonderful and majestic name of Jesus. And that we will be just so overwhelmed and undone by his presence. And worship is absolutely key. The only appropriate response when you experience the glory of God is to fall down and worship. It's to adore him. To behold his glory. Church. I feel like there's a moment, you know, it says that Peter was asleep and then he woke up with the glory. The glory woke him up. I feel like the Holy Spirit said, I'm waking you up with my glory. I'm waking you up. Wake up, church. Experience my glory. Experience the majesty of, of Jesus. Experience his goodness at a whole new level. Worship. I'm super excited this week. Tomorrow night, seven o'clock, we're re-establishing our burning room. 
And tomorrow night from seven till 10 in the youth room, we're actually opening the youth room up. At this point, we're going to do uh, Monday nights, Matthew uh, Lilly, who's leading worship this, this morning uh, uh, with Jordan. He's, he's leading, he's the national director of Burn 24-7. We're partnering with Burn 24-7 to establish the burning room, which is a, a room dedicated to just worshiping and getting into the glory of God and mag- magnifying his holy name. And so tomorrow night we're launching. And then on, um, that's on Monday nights, seven o'clock, in the youth room, you're very welcome to come and join and just fall on your faces before the Lord and get in the glory as you worship the glory, Jesus himself. And then Thursday mornings, 9 till 11, and then 11 till 1, we're just going to see the Holy Spirit move, and I'm so excited, and you're all very, very welcome. But it's, 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 it's worship. What the, what the Lord is doing is he's firing us up to say, this is, this is my son, this is my glory, listen to him. Now, worship isn't just about singing songs, right? Worship is also about obedience. In fact, Jesus, uh, uh, in the Psalms, God says, sacrifice and burnt offerings I do not require, but my obedience. And so Jesus is saying, sorry, the Father's saying here, this is my son whom I love. He's the object of my affection. Now approach him and pay attention and be obedient. How do you pay attention to somebody well you turn aside to to look at them to hear what they're saying if Ash is talking to me I need to pay attention if I'm going this way and I hear I turn around and I look at her I pay attention to what she's saying worship is actually about turning our affection and paying attention to the glorious one and so we can do that wherever we are. It doesn't have to just be in a burning room or on a Sunday morning. We can focus our attention and our gaze and our affection back to him. But out of that place, what comes is a level of obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, in John 14, you will obey my commands. And so they get this revelation. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus is going to be going to take us all into the glory through his death and his resurrection. Jesus is the object and the desire and the pleasure of heaven. And they step into a new realm of new revelation of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Jesus only, experiencing him there. And obviously we worship the Father through the Spirit and truth through Jesus. But it's not to build a temple, it's not to build a tabernacle, it's not to build a booth or a monument where we can go back and say, hey, remember that day last week where we got to experience the glory of God and we got healed? Wow, I would love to go back to that. But it's this invitation to constantly experience and enjoy God's glory and his goodness. And so what's the outcome? Well, they come back down the mountain where they've met God and they've seen God and they've seen Jesus in his glory and they're now sent with glory. So they come back down the mountain and the first thing that Jesus, is, Jesus encounters is the gates of Hades. He encounters the gates of Hades in a child who is demonized with epilepsy. And, and they and experience the gate of, of Hades. Uh, but what does Jesus do? Well, he pushes back the gates of hell. And he commands that thing to come out and the, and the child gets completely healed and set free. Uh, and they weren't, the disciples were there. They were trying to overcome. They were trying to help. They were trying to get the demon out and they couldn't. But the glory of God in the face of Christ, Jesus comes down the mountainside and he just pushes the demons out. 
And so this is what I feel. I feel like this is what the Lord is doing is he's going to meet us more and more and more in his glory and then send us in his glory to those that need us, need him, that need a touch, that need to be set free, that need to experience the goodness of God for themselves through healing, through deliverance, through the word of God, through all of those things. How are the gates of, overcome, gates of hell overcome? By the glory of Christ. How are they overcome by a church that is consecrated to and adoring the glory of Christ and from that place being empowered by the Holy Spirit? It's your inheritance and my inheritance is to experience the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. As we worship him, as we adore him and we get marked and we get filled with his glory and we get to release his glory to other people. But worship is the key. Worship is the key. Worship is the key. Listening, turning aside and hearing his voice is the absolute key. And so this morning, this afternoon now, what we want to do is that we actually want to take communion together as an act of worship. And so all around the room, there's, there's, there's tables with juice and crackers. Um, what I would like you to do is I'd like you to go and get your juice and crackers, and then I'd like you to come back to your chair, and we're going to all stand together. I'm going to invite the worship team up now, and we're going to stand together, and we're going to worship, okay? So please go ahead and get the juice and the crackers. This is an act of worship, an act of devotion to the glorious King Jesus. Jesus said to do this in remembrance of him. So when you've got it, please just come back to your chairs and we'll stand together. Um, you can stand. We, we'll, I mean, if you want to sit, you can sit, but I'd like to invite you to stand if you would like to. And so just as quickly as you can, we're going to just worship together. Jesus instituted this on the night that he was going to, to uh, be betrayed but when he went to the cross and he took a loaf of bread with his disciples and, and he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the, the wine and he said, this is my blood that was shared for you. This is Jesus his moment of delivering us from sin, his moment of delivering us from sickness, his moment of delivering us from the power of death, from the slavery to the enemy, his moment of releasing us into his glory, his exodus of us to bring us back into the Father's side, into glory. And this bread that, we, that we're taking, there's a cracker, we take this bread and we remember the victory of Jesus Christ, that his body was broken for us and I want you just to take the cracker and eat the cracker and as you're eating the cracker it's a symbolic symbol of the reality that we have now become one with Christ and as that cracker goes on into you on the inside that like you've received the glory of Christ on the inside of you and you are now one with Christ and Christ is now one with you it's just representative of all of that 
And just take a moment, let's just start to worship him and let's lift up your voices and say, Jesus, thank you for your salvation. I thank you, Lord, for your body that was broken for me. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were the sacrificial lamb that was slain, that we could come into the glory of God that we could experience the life of Christ on the inside of us, that we could enjoy the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and come back into the Father's bosom. Thank you for your side being opened up, that we could step into you and be one to you and having our bodies and our minds and our consciences cleansed from sin. And just take them, let's take a moment to tr- take the juice and drink the juice together uh, as the blood of Jesus that cleanses us that speaks a better word than every sickness and every disease and every uh, negative word and every bit of guilt and every bit of condemnation that wipes us free it's the blood of the new covenant where Jesus said it says in in Ezekiel 36 that it's the, the law now written on our hearts that we would know him Jesus we worship you and we honor you You're the victorious king. You're the beautiful one. Thank you for your body that was broken for us. Thank you for your blood that was shed for us. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us into glory, for receiving us into your glory and that we could experience your majesty and your power. We're just gonna sing together. We're just gonna sing and experience the glory of God. Worship Jesus.
worship you, we honor you. Oh, we love you, Lord. We, you are so glorious and so beautiful and so wonderful, Lord. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence, for the love of Christ on the inside of us. Lord, I ask that you would cause each one of us to be filled with the passion that the Father has for the Son, that we would love Jesus the same way that the Father loves Jesus. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Pour out your love in us. God, I thank you, Jesus, that you have overcome the gates of hell. Lord, you've overcome the gates of Hades by your blood in the moment of your greatest weakness, your triumph overcoming all, all the enemies. Thank you for rescuing us from the power of the enemy. Thank you for rescuing us from sin on the inside that couldn't, we couldn't break through, free from. Thank you for rescuing us from a guilty conscience, Lord. Thank you, God, for rescuing us from death. And we worship you. And we worship you. Just one, if you have areas in your life where you're conscious of the gates of Hades, I want you to just prophesy to yourself, remind yourself, they will not overcome. They will not overcome because Jesus has overcome. Because Jesus has overcome. And I just, I want to just bless you this week to experience His glory, to worship Him in His majesty and His beauty, to just to get in the secret place and to press in to the glory of Jesus and to worship Him. And then to experience His glory. And then I bless you to carry His glory wherever you go, to every sphere, every place, every experience, every encounter, every body that you come into contact with, that you would experience, they would experience through you the glory of God the goodness of God, the kindness of God. And we bless you in Jesus' name this week as you go. Be filled with the glory. Experience God's glory. You are already living in the glory because Jesus is the manifestation and the truth of, truth of the glory. And we're in Christ, therefore we are already living in the glory. May it be manifested amongst you.